Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. This is going to be a wild one because we couldn't even get recording. The guest is so hot. His name is Raymond Crespo. Uh, he studied anthropology. He was born in 1970. He's got one of the funniest bios I've ever read. It's pretty awesome. But uh, he works for a company called Energy, Consul- um, Energy Conservation and Supply, ECS. Uh, Enterconsupply.com. Uh, he's a member of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. And he's going to talk, we're going to talk about light bulbs, we're lighting dorks, what are you going to do? Everyone loves these ones, uh, they're fun, and it's about light bulb guys getting together and talking about telling light bulbs, yeah. Uh, before we get into that though, oh Greg, we got to keep it easy. We got to go to K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com, that's T-Stonetech.com, Greg, the easy folks. Talk about keeping it easy. Reducing your SKUs in a LED floodlight exterior. They have color selectable. First of all, all their floods come 3K, 4K, 5K. They have a built-in photo cell. You don't even have to. You can disable it. It just comes with it. Nice and easy. Again, built-in glare shield, heavy-duty die cast, so quality fixture, 2,000 lumens to 14,000. And my favorite part is that all of their floods include either a half-inch knuckle or slip fitter, whatever size it is, and the trunnion and yolk. So you don't need to worry about the mounting. You get the fixture, you get to the job site, you say, oh, shoot, it's a trunnion mount on this one and a slip fitter oh, on that one. Oh, man. What it's a all pain in the, in the Keep butt. it easy. Just stay easy, nice and easy. Keep it easy. Light made easy. That's right, folks. That's KeystoneTech.com, K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com, and the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Greg, and there's one more thing. I heard the LC exam yeah. is coming up. Is that a fact? It's coming hot. It is. Yeah, I think usually in uh, November. And it's something that, you know, I believe in. I did my LC about 10 years ago, and, it, and it's something that's benefited me, and I think everybody else should get it if they haven't already. Get into it. So I think it's ncqlp.org, is it not? It is. So go check it out if you're ready to rock. I don't take tests, so I only talk. So I don't have an LC, but I think you should, because you're not the host of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast, brother. So get out there, get that LC, like Greg Eric. And all the rest of the members have nailed. I'm the lonely one. I don't know the handshake. But that's how it goes, folks. I'm too, it's too late for me. It's over. But for right now, what's up, Raymond Crespo? Good morning. How you doing? How you Good, doing, everybody? Brother. Yeah, I'm not a letters guy either. I'm, uh, you know, it's like in, in this industry, I've been, you know, surrounded by people with leads and pro project management and all kinds of LCs and LBDs. And, you know, it's just everyone looks like the, you know, John F. K. and LBJ had a baby and all of, you know, there's just letters galore. <laughs> but uh, I've always just taken that, you know, everything is learned on the job in situ and the client really drives the bus. And so, you know, while you need the tools in the toolbox to be successful in any industry. You also need to understand the client's needs and then tailor what you have from there. So how are you guys doing? Yeah. How's man. everything going over there? I've, the I've, seen, I've seen better days, buddy. But, you know, I'll tell you this. I think that, you know, um, if you are on the path in your career in the lighting industry and you're in that, in that five to ten year range, that's the time mm-hmm. to get the LC. For me, I'm mm-hmm. 21 years into the game now. Um you know, it's too late for me uh, to get into that studying and all that. I'm, <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not kidding you, man. Like, I, I don't, I'm just not, I don't have, I'm so busy. I don't have time for that. But I mean, if you're in that five yeah. to 15 year range of your career, especially if you're an employee, the LC mm-hmm. is the designation to have, Greg Eric. Oh, it's a great designation. I really think, you know, if you're going to look at like, you know, lead certification was really hot for a while, but LC, getting that basic stuff is really important because then you're a differentiator. You're someone who can project development, who understands the 
the ins and outs of the industry, you know, from that level. And from a very ground level, those are the people when you do sales, technical sales is really the aspect that we're really needing more of in this industry. Because once people understand what you're doing, then everyone does it. It's really not, uh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel proverbially. Proverbially? Is that how you say that? It's a proverb. But, um, yeah. you know, can see if people do understand what is going to happen in a project, then nine times out of 10, they're going to say yes to, and at least our focus is energy efficiency. And so we're going to get lighting. in your background. Yeah, we want to get oh, in yeah. your background. But before we do, um, Mike, this is how you write a biography. <laughs> he, we, we went back and forth on how to, <laughs> sometimes you have to write a little bio on yourself when you're about to speak. And Michael had a real hard time getting more than two sentences in. That's how you do it yeah. right there. Read that. <laughs> it started I started from the beginning. From the beginning. I started from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into you know, We don't need to go into where, when you were born and all that, but I do like that that background. Uh, getting into the, the business. How did you get into the lighting world, lighting industry? Well, it was kind of funny because um, in 1990, graduated from Duke in 1992. I got to get that plug in. I'm not a big Blue Devil basketball fan, but, you know, beautiful school. Um Got out of school, and then I was kind of floating around in Seattle for a while. I was working for the Washburg for a couple of days, and I had a call. I think I put this in the bio. I had a, I had a meeting with a guy when I was canvassing, trying to get money. And we had a nice half-hour conversation about energy conservation and saving the Clean Air Act and doing good for the world. And he turns to me and goes, that's all well and good. He's in like a $4 million home. I'm like in a beautiful town outside of uh, Seattle. And he goes, but I work for the lead, lead paint industry. I own a lead paint manufacturing company. So I'm on the other side of this conversation. But if you came to me with something that was good for the environment and good for business, then you'd sign me up tomorrow. You know, because obviously I'm looking for a victory on my side as a lead paint. And no matter what your imprint is, no matter how impactful your business is, whether it's a, you know, a coffee shop or a lead paint manufacturing, you can always do better in terms of more efficient and, you know, better practices and best practices. So a couple years, cut to a couple years later, I'm on a bar stool with my father and he's got some friends in this industry. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a company called MaxLite. Yeah. Well, they were called, they were known as Shinquan or SK America in 1995, and they were looking for a marketing plan because they were the number one ballast and ETA distributors and manufacturers in Korea and Asia, but they had no American footprint. So Bill McKay and my father, Bob Crespo, uh, started calling up distributors around the country to find out who has what technological, what T8 and LED and electronic ballast technology. No one. It was all... Uh, if the contractor develops it or the end user develops it, then we'll go buy the product. So our, our innovation at the time, Bob's, my father's innovation was to take that, that product, T8 ballast and a T8 and electronic ballast and another friend at the Knickerbocker Cafe on Fifth Avenue, a fine watering hole, um, who was working for a company named Unenco, uh, which then became uh, Hubble Building Automation. Um, they had sensors. So we put those two pieces together, T8 electronics and occupancy sensors. And instead of re being reactive as a distributor, we were proactive in going to the end user and selling them product. And so within four months, we had J. Crew and Macy's as clients in 1995, just going up and calling them and saying, hey, we can save you on T8s and sensors. And it was fortuitous. It was, you know, as it, and it's kind of it's hysterical, actually. As soon as we got in the industry, we were calling up and saying, we can save your money and blah, 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 blah. Reduce your electric footprint by 35, 40% by going to T8, 70% if you de-lamp. And they said, 
oh, did you not take part of the Con Ed program that just ended? And I said, no, what Con Ed program? They said, oh, we were just all given a dollar a watt if we just took out a lamp. So they would take a four light two by four troffer and take out one 40 watt lamp, throw it out or save it and use it somewhere else and get paid $40. So that's kind of like we, we, it's kind of like if you go to the party and someone's like, the clowns just left, you know, (laughs) beer just ran out. That's hilarious. (laughs) You know what? And I'm going to say something controversial here and I'm sure John Wilson, he's going to listen to this and he's going to make fun of me on the contrast ratios or on the rebate show. Utilities act like clowns when they start getting into this lighting stuff, Greg Eric. What do you think? I think they can, you know, to some degree, they're, they're diving into, you know, I had an issue I, I talked about on a light head show where they're giving free lamps to customers and up to 500 free T8 LED lamps. You know, right. those are the customers I want to sell to, not, yeah. I don't want you to give away lamps. So yeah, that's acting like a clown that's totally harming our business because you're giving it for free and you're going to the same customers as we are. So, yeah, I, I don't mind yeah. them giving us a rebate, but stay out of selling or giving stuff away to our customers. Exactly. Exactly. There are people in the industry from all angles who are trying to sell this product. And right now, like in New York, uh, what they've done is they've taken they've taken that horrific approach that you talk about where they go directly to the end users and give away free product. And they say, OK, go through like a distributed a distribution model like they use for National Grid. Uh, Con Ed is using that where the, the, the contractor or distributor will be, be paid five to ten dollars a lamp. You know, market value and the end user puts in a nominal 50 cents a lamp and still gets the benefit. So, yeah, I agree. But also utilities, you have to remember, they're moving uh, glacially with tariffs that have to be re-upped every five, ten years in terms of their you know requirements for uh, uh, what are they? What's that word called? You know, when the government oversees you, regulation. So they have to fight the war that that, that was being fought five years ago. Or yeah, two so, years but you ago, know what? I think if ago. they focused as much time on like fixing their gear in California and not starting wildfires as they spend on, you know, lighting rebate programs, they'd probably be in a better position. Um, no, that's know, true. That's true. You know, they spend a lot of time telling the lighting industry what to do and um, and controlling the lighting industry. And I think they might want to look at, you know, providing people with electricity at a good price and maybe cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we de- as we decouple, I mean, this is a big that's a big discussion as you decouple, you know, generation from the commodity itself and, and the distribution arm. And so you've got those two parallels where like right now, Con Edison is making a massive infrastructure investment in EV charging, for example. They're going to have to recoup that money over the next 10, 20 years. And they have a little tiny tariff for a penny, a kilowatt hour or a fractional penny to pay for the EV charging installations. So. You know, I, I, I think, yeah, in terms of infrastructure, when you decoupled that, uh, you know, the profit from the from the distribution. Am I, am I too loud? Am I too smart? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, no, Greg and I are just signaling each other of who's going to ask you the okay. next question. Yeah. <laughs> Good, okay. No, I think when you decoupled those, I think you put the utilities in a kind of in a very in a box of some sort. And I'm not a pro. I'm not a, like a hyper pro utility person, but I do say that if you're not going to be able to make money on the energy di- distribution side or commodity side of it, rather, then your need to your the requirement that you keep the lines up. Like in California, or let's say in uh, Texas, where they didn't or not burn the, the burn the burn the state to the ground. That's another good. Yes, thing. exactly. I mean, those those are those are some things that they need to. 
we need they need to prioritize that 100 percent. And what they're saying, I think, de facto, we're kind of like, you know, I'm taking my ball and going home approach is that if I can't make money selling on the commodity side, I'm not going to do as much investment. And there and that also is there is a bit of truth to that. There's the bucket of money does get smaller if all you're doing is getting paid on distribution. you got to get you know what? You, know. you, you also got to look at. So the tariff side of it. OK, those tariffs, you, they start at a penny a kilowatt hour. OK, but mm-hmm. on Ontario right now, it's called the global adjustment. That tariff is now f- 10 to 15 times the cost of energy. And is about wow. 70 to 90% of an electricity bill in Ontario. Wow. Okay. So just like those That's tariffs, they, they go places, That's crazy. right? Yeah. So Ontario, <laughs> they, 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 you know, when they say, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to pay for this. And we can, we're off topic here a little bit, but I think a lot of people are interested. We get a lot of remarks when we talk about utilities. So they take okay. these rebate programs, these solar fa- farms in Ontario. It's also nuclear power which is clean though, by the way, but I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now because we could talk about clean okay. power, but they take all this stuff, they amortize it over five years and they bill it out to the rate base. This has gotten way too easy to do for utilities. I mean, they are just pounding stuff into their rate base and it's not mm. equitable. If you want to talk about equity, that is not equitable. Because the people yeah. who receive the benefit for those programs, the large factories, the people that do the lighting retrofits and get the free lighting and the 500 tubes mm-hmm. for this jamoke over in, you know, and somewhere in, you know, Paducah, Kentucky or whatever, gets 500 free tubes. That's all paid for by everybody, every, every grandmother's electricity bill in Ontario That's or, true. or Minnesota. That is not equitable. Every equitable grandmother. You should see the grandmother's surcharge. It's incredible. That's what it's they call the it. It's right now. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. But it's true. You know, these people, it's true. I, I, you know, electricity bill fit 20 years ago in Ontario for the, the average apartment uh, apartment would be like 30 bucks yeah. or 40 bucks when I was, when I had an apartment. Now it's like $175. That's interesting. It reminds me of a comment, right? My wife and I, we had a quick discussion about gas because gas is now like $3 a gallon in our neighborhood. And she goes, are you surprised with the price of gas? I said, when it's $16 a gallon, I'll be surprised, you know, like in Europe. You know, that's uh, that that's the I'm not worried about that right now. But, yeah, in terms of like the cost of electricity, yeah, it does just keep creep. It does keep creeping up. Like right now, Con Ed is giving away twenty thousand dollars in infrastructure for EV charging stations. Great investment for them long term. They're going to be powering the cars of the future with their with their natural gas power plants. Um, so that's a long term great investment for them. And so you're right. The person who is has a small uh, low income house in you know middle of Brooklyn is going to be paying a fractional penny while. The guy on 38th Street with a $450 million building gets 10 free charging stations. Yeah. You know? It's not, it's at the not same equitable time, at all, man. That's true. But at the same time, I'm talking to low-income housing owners, in, and what they have done is they have kind of tried to make it equitable in New York. I guess we could talk about this for a few, another second because I'm trying to talk to everyone who's not getting free charging stations in New York. Right now, you get $10,000 if you're in a rich area, $20,000 in infrastructure if you're in an opportunity zone or a lower income zone. So they are trying to make some level of equity. Yeah, because you know? all those so like, poor people are driving around Teslas, right? Right now they're not, but in, in ten years, in five years, in ten years, the you know the the Volt or the Prius. That's or a, just a no go you know, program. That's a no go program. That's like a, we will give you twenty because like the, no the the, the electric, no one's saying yes. I'll put it that way. Like no uh, one we is. Going we want to talk about lighting. Greg's going to be back to lighting <laughs> yeah. here in a second, but yeah, I'll do that. you know, I mean, the, like the electric vehicles. You know, first of all, it's questionable whether they're actually better for the environment. That's a question. Good that point. is not. That is not a known thing. What they have to do Voltage to get that lithium yeah. to extract mm-hmm. all that lithium from the ground and everything else, like that, that's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. That's like saying, you know, change all the street lights to LED and everything will be better. 
Uh, it turns out that's not true either. So the, a lot of these assumptions that we're operating on are the wrong assumptions. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I, I, you know, in this, oh yeah, we'll give you 20 grand if you're in a poor area. Well, who's going to buy the Tesla? Okay. Who's going to buy the, yeah. the electric vehicle? Nobody's going to buy the electrical vehicle, electric vehicle. Well, in five area. years, 10 years, there will be used electric. My comment is yes. Yeah, right. Cause now, everyone's going to be that. Everyone's going to be rich in five or 10 years. Eh? I don't We're think it's going, I don't know if it's going that way, but <laughs> <laughs> Greg, get us back to lighting. Get us back to lighting. Get, get, back, back, to lighting. Lighting. get back to lighting. What do we got here? Uh, all right. So here, here's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. So I looked at your website. It's in Brooklyn, New York. You live in Missouri. And when yes. I say meet the team, you're not on there. What is your role at this company? You started Well, actually, it. it's funny. Um, I'm not someone who likes to have my picture thrown around or my face on anything. This being on a video call is kind of a, a strange thing for me. I'm, a, I'm an old school. Old, give me a conference call. Give me a give me an audience of people who want to talk about lighting and energy conservation and controls. Let's chat all day and all night. Uh, I started the company with my father. We founded it in '95. I ran it until 2013. I was the CEO. Grew the thing up. It was you know we had Macy's. We did all the Macy's around the country. All the Citigroup. We had a really nice thing going. But I had a kid. And I wanted to take a step back and just do national sales. And so that's what I did. And so now I'm just a national sales guy. And, um, yeah, I probably should get my face on there. I'm losing some weight. So maybe it's about time to, to get my face on the on the company, uh, the banner, you know, to say here I am. But, yeah, uh, I, I think there's a part of it that's um, reticence to advertise myself and reticence because it's not um, – and just it's not necessary. It's really not necessary. You know, I've been in the industry 25 years. Um, I don't think me standing there like – Hmm, is going to make anybody say yes or no to a project. Right. I'd rather talk right. about the merits of each individual project and opportunity as they come up and take it from there. Are you still the owner? I'm still a part owner. Yes, I'm still. I sold. Okay. We sold in 2013 to uh, to an investment group of friends uh, who came from the IT IT world. Uh, from Globant, which is a company that, uh, you know, they, they entered Globant when it was 60 people and they, they exited with 2,500 uh, employees. And so they were young guys my age exactly uh, who were looking to grow into this particular space. And they're the ones who split off Animated Insights as a digital twin, you know, company. We uh, kind of incubated it within ECS and then split it off. And that's the, the IT, their IT focus, whereas ECS proper has maintained our focus on service and lighting and lighting upgrades and controls and being yeah, innovative lighting bio. distributors. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I saw that on your bio, the Animated Insights. I looked at it a little bit, but describe what that is. Oh yeah, it's um, it's basically like you know, that. This is not my bailiwick because you know I went, I studied anthropology in college. I didn't study engineering. So, but basically, um, if you have a portfolio or you have an individual building, you have uh, various pieces and parts and widgets that control anything from an air handler down to a VAV box. So, a digital insight and a digital twin. The product, uh, Pebble, it's called, from Animated Insights, takes a look at every one of those pieces, every one of those you know, control items, control points, uh, bottleneck points for energy, and then tries to optimize and maximize efficiency, whether it be you know, occupancy sensors working with VA, VAV boxes within an individual room, slowing down uh, large, large fans, uh, changing set points automatically, things of that nature. It's, it's, it also then provides like a, a, an analytical oversight for portfolio. That can be per, that can be you know rolled out on a let's say if you have a campus or multiple buildings you can roll it out that way. Um, it provides a single pane of glass as well as granular detail all the way down to the individual light switch does or VAV box. If, does it tell you if a sensor or a light is burned out? 
Yes, it'll tell. Well, depending on the technology on the other side, it can tell you what has failed, what is maintenance, what, you know, like basic. I mean, these are not relatively, they're not new concepts in the sense of alarm systems and actionable alarms and actionable data from energy management systems. It just takes it, they make really pretty graphics too, you know, and it, it's something that's a great user interface. You can dial down, you can look at your phone and tablet and Da, 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 da. Um, and just the, it just takes the IT disruptive concept and brings it into um, you know the the energy management space. But I definitely would say if you like Tishman Wakefield is a client of ours, uh, they're doing quite well in that particular space. I know that there's a number of clients, but as far as like that is concerned, if you are looking for a digital overlay or some sort of like um, something that can bring coalesce all of your various energy management systems and bring them all together into one point and then slowly migrate to a new system, then the animated insights is a great opportunity for you. Nice. And there's my third so commercial, a two year commercial on That's that. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the original customers you had that were in the retail space, you see, I think you mentioned J crew and one other one when you like four months into the business. Yeah, so, so in January, uh, J crew was a, a client of ours, uh, January 95. And in April of 95, I had a call with the head of Macy's East, Scott Chester, an admiral in the Navy. And uh, at the time, I was literally just reading pamphlets. And I was like, you ever see those movies where, like, the, the, the words come off the page when you're reading, when they're reading? And it's like, you know, like a thousand different words are on the page, but 35% comes up. And, you know, I had a 45-minute conversation with someone who was way above my intelligence pay grade at the time. And uh, he said, I'd like to talk to you guys. So within a year, we had tested occupancy sensors in, in retail environment. Uh, we had done test installations of T8s, and within two years, we were rolling out occupancy sensors to uh, Macy's East, which eventually became every Macy's in the country, as well as they purchased May Company. So in the last 26 years, we have upgraded every Macy's facility at least once, some of them four times, because and we that, went from T12, ask, yeah. T8. Yeah. That's what I think is the, the best part about our industry and our, our business, particularly ECS, is that like Citigroup has been a client for 20 years, you know, and so as technology improves and technology rolls out, ECS is there to do the national rollout, design, build, and provide the newest concepts and just keep like a like a cat bringing birds to their, their owner. You know, we just keep bringing new ideas back to our client base, you know, whether it goes from like incandescent to low wattage incandescent to compact fluorescent to metal halide to LED We've been part of a number of, in the retail industry, we were part of a number of Six Sigma studies about lighting and the, the retail lighting protocols that were understood and assumed to be correct. You talk about assumptions uh, being incorrect. You don't know if they're incorrect until you've tried something else and found out that that also works. So, you know, um, so the, our retail, it was a very strong focus of ours for like the first 15 years. Or, was or, if, you, did, or if you change the question you're asking. Yes. Right. Like sometimes yeah, so you're asking the wrong yeah. question. Now, can, can I, I just want to jump in here. So um, you were you doing aux sensors like in the early 2000s? Like when the yeah, when, late 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. Late okay. 1990s, I, so the uh, first, do, you, do you think that is there any energy like I'm a big believer in that generation of occupancy sensors. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, that with the relays and you can connect them, you can do very large spaces. You can, you know, do bi-level lighting. There's a lot of things that you can do if you're technically yep. savvy. I don't see yeah. any energy efficiency gains from the addressable stuff. Now, I'm not saying that there's no benefits. 
What I'm saying is that a properly commissioned and controlled Gen 1 or whatever Gen 2 occupancy sensor system is as effective and perhaps more convenient for clients than some tablet-based or computer-based addressable system. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I'd hope you didn't want me to take counterpoint on that one. Because take it. That's what I want. <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I can't take the counterpoint. Okay. <laughs> I think that the, the in, in 1997, we installed occupancy sensors. Let's just give an example. In every Macy's uh, in Long Island. In 2000 and I think 15 or 16, we revisited every one of those facilities. And I was like, ha ah, we're going to replace all the sensors. No. 95% still operational, uh, all the savings still happening. You know, um, you know, the thing about like, I mean, older people were always like, you know, those Otis elevators were built to last. And in fact, they were built to last. And those original like technology pieces were built to last. Yeah, they got yellow. They look ugly. But when you walk in the room, they still pop on and they still pop off. Now, your point about digital addressable POE granular controls, um, I think in spaces that are flexible, you know, places that are going to change operations. Yes, I agree. With you know, that. Play conference rooms that are going to be changed, large large bullpen areas that are going to turn into offices or huddle rooms or whatever we want to call these places now. Um, yes, that's where there's value, but because then you can recommission and reconfigure on the fly with your tablet and just be like boop 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 boop. But how often do we do that? Um, and then what's the what's the cost gain? So like if you're we're, right now, we're looking at uh, a medical center and we're talking about like five million square feet. Now, they can't use wireless controls because of, um, you know, the interference, interference with the healthcare sure. product. Yeah, sure. They can't use wired controls because ICRA is going to not allow us to open up all of the ceilings because pathogens will drop out of the ceiling. If you don't know ICRA and you're in an energy efficiency field and you're talking to healthcare people, Look it up before you go to your first meeting. ICRA. Uh, and so you got to know it or you look like a fool when you're I, I look, almost look like a fool, but what, that's another story. Um, <laughs> I almost I look like a fool like a all fool. the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so, 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 what's ha so yes, I think your, your main point going back to it, which is um, you're going to get 95 to 98% of your savings and the value out of putting in a low wattage lamp with a basic control that controls the room. Are you going to get additional savings if that back area shuts off before the front area? Yeah, but what? What are you going to gain for $75 of fixture extra? You're going to gain a few pennies here, a few pennies there. The only difference is that when we did, let's say, data centers or we did occupied office, conf like, you know, back of house spaces, uh, we would just make sure that a small pool of light would be over the desks in the room and then control the rest on a separate. We can, you can change it with, as you say, con constructive, intelligent wiring. You don't need to put in uh, an individual occupancy sensor that's going to read people counting and CO2 in every fixture. It's, uh, it's a bit of an overkill. You know, it's more future proofing against anyone saying, hey, why didn't you do the fanciest thing available? And I think that's future proofing that's is not allowed on the show. No, I don't like I don't the word. Real. I don't think it's real. <laughs> I'll give you an example. It's like the uh, going back to the EV chargers. OK, I just read an article last week that says we're going to change all the voltage in the batteries from 400 volt to 800 volt. OK. okay. Yeah, they're going to make, you know, via electric vehicles, 800 volt now for some reason, because they can charge the batteries way faster. Okay. okay. Right. So they now, step up now in your five to ten year plan, where the poor people are all driving electric cars, uh, yeah, the chargers don't work anymore because the, mm -hmm. all the vehicles now are eight hundred volts. So you can go to the gas station, plug it in for five minutes, and you get uh, two hundred kilometers or whatever. Or, sorry, one hundred and twenty-five miles. 
Thank you. Yeah, good. <laughs> Greg, bring us back to lighting again, brother. <laughs> I, I want to. No, this is it's like, good. It's like going skiing. Take... We just keep ending up in the crazy part of the mountain. I know. Movie. I know. <laughs> I'll try to balance you guys out, but I want to go back to let's take an example of a Macy's or whoever that you retrofitted or, or upgraded four times. What were those four? Okay. What did it look like? Oh, I love Can that. You pick one example. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's say like a Roosevelt Field would be a good one or Herald Square even. Um, the first round was going from T12 and t to T8. And so, you know, standard fluorescent reality. Um, included in that may or not have been an occupancy sensor upgrade for offices and back of house. Now, back of house doesn't exist for retail anymore. So, or in the level that it did, it went, it was like 20%. It's now like 2%. So when someone says, can you check for that, uh, that shirt in the back of the house? There's no, there's no shirts back there. Um, but so that would be, let's say T12 to T8 occupancy sensors installed. There was a, a low wattage, 75-watt uh, to 44-watt lamp where we put in all the general lighting and changed all the general lighting down to 44 watts. Uh, we then came back 30s through. Or yeah, like the IR, okay. the IR lamp. Yeah. Remember that IR lamp? Okay. Amazing story. lamps, you man. Wanna, Good lamps, brother. You want to hear, hear a comedy story about the IR sure, lamp? Sure, okay, love it. It's funny. <laughs> Not funny, but you know. Okay. For lighting so I forget dorks. the exact year. I forget the exact year. It's mid-2000s. The IR lamp is coming out. It's like a $9 lamp. $8 yeah. lamp, fancy lamp. Everyone loves it. Yeah. If you're selling it, you're the greatest guy. Now, we personally weren't selling Sylvania at that time. We didn't have access to them. So my father, in his genius, said to the person who was running the Six Sigma project for one of these retailers, hey, what if I gave you a lamp that's half price but does the same exact thing as the IR lamp? And the guy says, oh, we buy a trillion of them, a million of them a year. And he said, oh, I love those numbers. Number. So we went to a guy. You probably know Bob Sorensen. In the lighting yeah, industry, sure. light trunks. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, for sure. Yes. So we call Bob. We say, Bob, can you make the IR lamp, but make it half price and make it at forty-four watts? And he said, ah, I can do anything. I'm Bob Sorensen. <laughs> so he does. <laughs> he does the lamp thing. He makes it. It's half price. Cut to my father and I. We're on a ladder. He's like fifty. He's like seventy at the time. We're like putting in lamps and we're re-aiming them, and it looks beautiful. We did a whole photographic essay. We showed IR versus our five dollar, our four dollar lamp the Crespo lamp, as it became known. And we and they said, can you choose which one is uh, the right one? And you tell me which one is better. And they couldn't. They couldn't discern. It turns out there was a clause in the contract that said if Sylvania could reverse engineer any lamp, they were still going to get the business no matter what. I didn't know that. But we didn't make friends with Sylvania that day because no. they took our four our dollar $4 lamp and had to sell a $4 lamp, a version of it. And that became the standard throughout many retailers. There's a low wattage, affordable. All they did, honestly, was just tweak the beam angles and some of the coating. And that was it. Huh. And so it was um, – it was an instructive, it was an eye-opening experience at the time that if you're not on the side of the big players, maybe you're not going to be at the table at the end of the day, you know? And so at that point, we redoubled and re-tripled our efforts to becoming the partners with the Sylvanias, Phillipses, and sure. GEs of the world. You know, you you know, know as opposed to being the... I want to add to that. I don't think the uh, lighting industry has recovered from the loss of the MR16 precision uh, spot flood, narrow flood, wattage, all that kind of stuff. Like you mm. could do a lot. Like I have a client like a, who's an art collector and he called uh -huh. me up and he's like, I want you to come look at my, my new condo. And it's like, a, it's got a, it's a, it's a penthouse. It's got a huge ceiling, 20 foot ceiling in his living room and it's a beautiful condo. Mm -hmm. And he has like $300,000 worth of art on the walls or maybe a million dollars. Who knows? Right. Wow. All like, like me here, like that one piece. Yeah, right exactly. There. Like <laughs> that one right there. Yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're talking like known Canadian artists and stuff like that. Like, you know, he's not a collector. He's like, yeah, I want you to do it up like you did that gallery because I've done the, I've done a lot of art galleries, like you know, mm-hmm. with with oh, yeah. and all that. And I, you know, I looked at it and I said, I can't do this with LED. Like, I can't yeah. give you that even in 2021. I can't give you those spots, those really nine degree spots on the small piece. And I can't mm-hmm. do it. I have to use halogen. He's like, you have to use halogen. I'm like, yeah, you can't. Cause the, he wants a track in the middle and he wants, he has different size pieces of art. So he needs to have like different wattages combination with spots. So, cause the spot, the candle beam power is going to be a lot hotter on the spot. Mm-hmm. than it's going to be on the, the flood. So you need to lower the wattage. Right, so you need to play with yep. the wattages and all this, so that the light amount is the same, but it's giving you the spot on the smaller piece, and then on the bigger piece, he's going to have the. You can't do that with. You can't do that with replaceable lamps. Maybe some fixtures have some ability, really expensive light fixtures, but you can't do that for fifty bucks a fixture to the guy. Yeah, you I can easily do that with that. halogen. You can easily yes, give and, that guy a beautiful lighting system for fifty bucks a fixture. If it's LED, it's going to be three hundred dollars a fixture. Well, I think one of the things that, that we do from our innovative lighting design perspective that I, I always stand by is I say, uh, put the gimbal or the small track head in. And then with LED lights, you can, maybe the number of SKUs has winnowed down or reduced over, over the course of the last uh, several years. But speaking to that specific point, um, I, my, di- my design goal has always been give the client the most flexibility moving forward. So that small piece of art might turn into a large piece of art six months down the line. The if you have a three hundred, if you have a three, exactly. And so that's what we've been doing throughout the entire. We did Saks Fifth Avenue was like one of my crowning achievements in in that particular industry. In this particular industry, um, at the end of doing a number of retailers, a friend of mine was working with Saks, and they were looking at doing an LED upgrade. And they had, really didn't have a lighting plan or lighting manual. And so I went around to 15 of their stores, took best practices for all of their lighting, spotlighting, you know, uh, floodlighting, anything that was in a screw-in lamp. And just to, I guess we, we'll double back to the, four, the third and fourth and fifth upgrade of a retailer in a, in a minute. But this is kind of yeah. part of the process. And so um, they had about, let's say, 40 different halogen SKUs. And 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 and, P, and par and br and all kinds of SKUs. And at the time, GE was making that robust line of spot, medium flood, and wide flood. They had a five fifty and twenty thirty five and, and fifty watt, which is yeah, so exactly. key because the exactly. twenty watt tight spot is as bright as the fifty watt flood on when it exactly. hits the wall. Like you need so those very wattages. I, so I designed a complete. A overhaul of Saks Fifth Avenue's lighting. Hard goods got 3,000 Kelvin. That was a design choice that they made. Soft goods got 2,700 Kelvin. I was gonna, I was okay with the 3,000 across the board, but they decided they wanted to have that double the number of SKUs, made it slightly more complex. But we took and at one, so we did a, I did like a 20-page rollout of what are your best practices, what are you using, and where, here are the pictures of what you're using that we think is. Here are the 60 LEDs that we recommend you use. And we went through and did a complete relamp of the entire facility, every Saks Fifth Avenue nationally, and no one knew it was done. Uh, The one thing that they did notice is that their jewelry departments in most of their high-end locations doubled their sales, or at least had a 50% increase, because jewelry really pops under LEDs. Come on, you you have that? You have proof of that? in Beverly, I, they, I can the call. I can. I have an email. They say, "Hey, we doubled our sales in Beverly Hills going to LED." 
literally, they doubled their sales and they said that's we're finding that across the board. And mm. so, you know, um, what's fascinating is that it was such a complex renovation and it took six, eight, ten months in development. And then, you know, several months to roll out. There was a ton of rebates. We got it was a fantastic project. He actually, um, Gary, the person who was uh, energy manager at the time, um, he then gave a keynote speech at EEI about about that program. And it went really well. So, you know, it, you can do a lot with the fixtures, let's say, 10 years ago with LED. But now um, with basically venture capital taking over every manufacturer with uh, Chinese imports basically dominating the entire industry. You know, Light Fair in 1998 was like they had a table and like, let's say, six tables with China. I don't know if you guys remember that. Mm -hmm. You're in for 21 years. There was like at Jacob Javits, it'd be like a little small second level in the back corner, Chinese components. And then now everything is made in China. So, and now venture capitalists own GE, they own uh, Synergy and Leadvance. And so the innovation and the ability to have lost leaders of your five watt spot, your nine watt, your 10 watt spot, your multiple wattage SKUs, it kind of goes away because they're, they're, they're niche products. Whereas you're making a, a part of an MR16, it's two bucks. It costs 50 cents to make. Eh, I can make 20,000 on a run and knock it out. But with LED, you're talking about two, three, four, ten times more investment. And those products are sitting on the shelf and then they're becoming obsolescent, obsolete while still on shelf. So I think that's kind of like um, you can't build it and they shall come in the lighting industry. You have to have a market mm. and then supply that market. So I think it's kind of a, what do you call that? A chicken and an egg or a catch 22. The reason we don't have 50 mm -hmm. SKUs is because it's too expensive for a distributor to stock them, a manufacturer to make them. And it's not enough end users who actually understand the value that you're talking about. So, so you oh, went, of course, 100%. So you went T12 to T8, maybe some lock sensors. T12 then to you, T8. Then you went to IR. Yeah. Okay. Well, IR. Which, uh, the T8s, were they normal ballast factor, 32 watt, low ballast, any of that stuff? We are, I, I've always been like right down the middle. You know, like you have currently, you have a 3000, you know, output and you have this level of output. I'm going to get you that level of output. I assume okay. that my clients, when they designed their successful business, because as my father said, we never dealt with anyone who didn't run a successful business. Energy conservation is something you do as part of a successful business. If it's all you have, then you have nothing. Mm -hmm. um, like, I guess you can't reduce spending out of a deficit. So mm -hmm. we'll go through that. That's a, that's a totally different podcast. We'll get, uh, but conceptually. Um, so we just try to do one for one, keep it simple. We can reduce lamps when possible, you know, like in cove lights, we reduce lamps and balance lights where you could add a reflector and two by four. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you did uh, any metal. Did you do any metal reflectors? Or we did like a that? lot of Miro 95s, a lot of, you know, basic <laughs> reflecting at the time. Sure. You know, we did a lot of reflectings four to three. Sure. We didn't go two to one in one by fours. We didn't uh, find that uh, it, unless they were stacked bulbs, you know, sure. if they're stacked bulbs, that's obvious. But um, the light spread, we assume that the designers knew what they were doing. And we try to replicate what the designers worked on for years in order to get it installed. Um, so then IR and then compact fluorescent lamps came in and then we were screwing in compact fluorescents everywhere. And that lasted for a little bit. And then metal halides came out and it was like the metal halide MH25 was going to be the thing that yeah. was CR. Yes, exactly. CMH. Yeah. <laughs> Ceramic <laughs> metal halide, baby. <laughs> it's all in. We're all in. And um, <laughs> it's, it, and as that happened, similar to cold cathode, 
Yeah. As those two technologies came forward and were like, we're going to take over, LED, like a dinosaur foot, just stomped them both right out and said, no, it's LED's time. Inductions, and in, so that, then, inductions in there, too. Induction? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could put that on the on the list of uh, technologies that didn't make as far as they could have. They Induction, inductions, products, LED's ugly uh, sister. Exactly. <laughs> we have inductions that we installed in Newark, New Jersey for the New Jersey Transit that are still running like 800 years later. You That's know, the one project that out. worked, did it? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, yeah, I, I got a, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Okay, just to, just as a quick aside, did you yeah. ever get into the Paracube de- debacle? I call it the Paracube debacle. Uh, the Paracube debacle. Oh, and this, okay. like changing K twelve acrylic and putting in the Paracube yeah, lenses. Um, I no? always thought that um, you were going to get uh, the, the amount of volume of escapable light is tremendous. I mean, if you're looking for glare free, like uh, there was a couple of. Um, what was this? We did have one Paracube project where it was uh, – I, I don't, I don't want to say the name, um, but it was a publishing house in New York City. And okay. they had like a 40-story building as a castle in, in, in California, similarly named. And so they wanted to glare free their fixtures. And so we put in Paracubes there. And that was well, the, the only the deep successful cells, project. The deep cells were better. But do you remember like mm-hmm. the three-quarter inch or one inch or half tiny, inch by half Tiny inch? little thing. Yeah. yeah. They actually created seasonal de- affected disorder with that. Most people don't know that they actually <laughs> created it, it because they they it's eliminated out. yeah they eliminated the vertical foot candles on the wall. So if you looked at uh-huh. pictures from the '90s of offices that had paracubes, you can see them in some brochures. It's like yeah, paracubes, oh. and the walls are so dark you can't see. It creates the cave effect. Yeah, it and it, it created it's seasonal great. affected disorder along with those rounded CRT CRT screens. And LED, LED replacing, let's say, um, the linear up-down lighting also did a similar thing. We no longer are illuminating the ceiling. We, we yep. never did that. We always sent some light up because if you don't illuminate, illuminate the ceiling, you feel like you're literally in a cave. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that is, uh, going back, it just goes back to the original design intent of the intelligent person who spent hundreds of hours deciding what was the best look for that. I assume that someone's there. So you try to recreate what's there. As best you can. So Paracube was a funny thing. But it did help, let's say, if you were do, using older um, screens and L- older t- computer technology that got really crazy glary, you needed something. And the Paracube was that something for a while. And then eventually we just have something we put on the screens. And then eventually our screens improved. So, you know, as you, you know, time, time, technology improves and changes. So the fourth one was Metal Halide. And then LED came on. Um, and now we're at that point where uh, from a from a, and I think LED is like the, the end right now. We're going to waiting for OLEDs. We're waiting for the things to come off the bench that are natural and organic and like 400 watts, a metal, a watt, 400 lumens a watt when that, when that gets harnessed and is commercially viable. I'm sure it's there already technologically. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, people selling the product that they just spent 30 years developing for a while. Let's make some money on the current mm-hmm. LEDs at 110 to 150, close, approaching 200 lumens a watt before we then dumb all that down. But that's going to be required for like, you know, uh, future LPD requirements and, you know, light power density requirements. We're going to need the the next level of LED of, uh, you know, 400 lumens a watt to come out at some point. So but not you yet. mentioned. Give us some time. Yeah. You, you mentioned that you like to give your client flexibility. So are you selling more LED tubes or LED fixtures? If you could sum oh, it up that question. way. Um, it, it depends on the, the client's goals. What we're selling a lot in the troffer market right now are uh, wattage color selectable door kits. 
Yep. You know, so you got the door kits that make it look like you've done a new fixture. If you want to add your granular light control widget, you can do that. You don't have to open the ceiling. So it's a cleaner installation. Um, I try to, we try to avoid opening ceilings whenever possible, you know, eliminate draping because we think of things in terms of um, amount of garbage created, uh, the amount of time necessary to install, and the amount of dirt that's created in the day-to-day -day operational interference. We try to minimize all of those. You know, so we've been seeing a lot of door kits as opposed to tubes. You know, so when you, um, in the in the when you look at yeah, when you look at res or um, retail, for example, I think mm -hmm. at least what I've seen is a lot of the retails when they upgraded to maybe a T eight or something, they might have done a center basket light. When you have a center exactly. basket fluorescent troffer, you can't retro it. Like you can't put a door frame. Uh, in the stuff. You yes yes and no. Sometimes some of them you can, some you can't. Okay. But yes, yeah. for the like for so for example, uh, let's say one of the larger retailers we're doing, we did a long term uh, two by two, two by four, mostly two by two, about ninety five percent two by two uh, new fixtures, and they took advantage of new fixturing because you get a couple of values out of it. You do get more lumens per watt. You do get a slightly more efficient. Um, so that'll be on the retail side. We're seeing more uh, more fixturing. But in the general commercial side, which I've been focusing on, um, we're seeing more uh, get her done. And the, and now with the pandemic, we're seeing changes in plans that you wouldn't believe. I mean, I guess we all would believe because we're experiencing it. We have to believe what's actually in our in our lives. Um, you know, people who were going to be spending eight, nine billion dollars to renovate buildings are now looking to do a tube retrofit. All the problems know? in the world come from uh -oh. people not that's a, believing. That's a horrible opening. <laughs> All the problems in the world come from people not believing what they see. Ah, you that's right a now. good ending. There you go. No, yep. that's true. I mean, if you if you don't, I mean, I live in a town where maybe 50, 45, 50% of us are vaccinated. Um, and I don't get that necessarily. I mean, again, people want to say it's a personal decision. Uh, you know, go live in the woods. <laughs> you know, just don't, don't I, I just feel like, you know, it, it's a, it, it's not that big of an imposition, you know, wear a mask, take a vaccine, take a vaccine. It's not going to stop it. We're not going to be saved. It's not going to be perfect, but at least we have a little bit of uh, I don't know. I wipe my butt after I go to the bathroom. I hope everyone does. And that, <laughs> that's what I got to put that, I put that at the level of social responsibility. You know, I think that's I, I would say this, I would say that to that, to respond to that, because I think we have a fundamental yeah. disagreement there, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. That's fair. But that's fair. Yeah, what I would say is it would be nice if, if for once one of those measures actually worked. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know the, what I'm saying? Like we've been perfect, wearing masks and social distancing and locking down for a long time. And now everyone's got their vaccine. The funny thing about that is we, we locked down 56% of our economy. The Walgreens was never closed. My bank was never closed. My uh, almost every store that I my shoe store was never closed. My dentist was never closed. My my hospital was never closed. My doctor was never closed. I never had to say no to anything that I wanted to buy. There was not one moment where I was like, "Oh, I want to get that," and I couldn't go to a store. That, and that's get it. because that's because all the sacrifices were made by children. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Let's not go there. Let's not yeah, go no, no. I mean, all, the, the kids, the kids are the ones that made the real sacrifices. The adults didn't really well, make yeah, any sacrifices. Was... They got no, to work we kept at home. It open, but... Yeah, all yeah. the stuff that adults was... needed to do was allowed, and all the stuff that kids needed to do was not allowed. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. And the kids that don't spread COVID nineteen, and they don't get very sick from COVID nineteen. So not, nothing. Not, 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 it, it would be nice. What I'm saying to you is this: 
in response to that. It would be nice yeah. if one of the things they did actually worked and we got out of it. Yeah. And number two, so here's the funny, it would be so like if the they focused thing. on the people that actually get sick and die. That would be another thing. Like, you know, so that's maybe... why the old people got the vaccines first. That's why that happened. And their death rate plummeted. Sure. So to say it didn't work, perfect is not the enemy of the good. And it shouldn't be. Just like in lighting and lighting controls and energy management systems, we should try to do, like, yes, is the perfect system the granular IT addressable fixture that can respond to the needs of any individual in that room based yes. upon their Bluetooth interference? Sure. Yes, that is the ideal. You know, I walk into a room, I'm the only person in that room, every light fixture goes to 4,500 Kelvin at 35-foot candles. <laughs> okay, that's I wanna, my desire. I want to ask you something. How yeah. hot are you guys right now? On, that's not so, happening. I'm not going to install that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. But yeah. are you guys looking into, like, there's a lot of talk of health effects, okay? Mm. And some of it's legit, man. There's some stuff out there you can do, we know right now, that you can do to help people. Right. Yes. Um, are you guys moving on any of that yet? Are you still waiting on the sidelines, waiting for something that's kind of retrofitable, one for one, that's easy to deal we have with? A pilot pro that's a good question. We have a Where pilot project. Uh, there's a company coming out of uh, Sweden called Brainlit. Yes. I don't know if you've heard yeah. about these yeah. guys. Yeah. But we have a pilot project that we're. Uh, Looks like we're going to be installing in the next week or two, maybe a month, where uh, it has circadian rhythm. It has that inter interaction. It has mood enhancement as a possibility. Um, and, yeah, we've actually been a big believer in that. Uh, we, I tried to. And, you know, finding people to buy it is the other side, mm -hmm. you know, and having access to, let's say, uh, like old folks' homes, retirement communities where we would have reading lamps that you could have and sit and read under and get that circadian rhythm and that increased – it affects seasonal, seasonal affective disorder as well as basic mood enhancement. Um, we know that. That is true. We know it's real. That lighting affects us. And our lighted environment is almost all artificial. So creating something and having a product that is more natural, that does respond to the person's individual needs, or let's say to the needs in general, because you can't have everybody's individual needs met. You can only put in a product that'll have a certain level of eff efficacy. So, um, yeah, we're seeing it's expensive as all get out. It's not cheap. I mean, we're talking uh, 10 15 times more than your average retrofit. So uh -huh. just like you talk about inequity, people are just putting them into conference rooms for the executives and the executive washroom and the executive offices. And so uh, one company that I know, uh, similar to Brandlit, they're spending like $200,000 on table lamps to put into their executive rooms. Um, and they're the only ones who are going to get it. The people at the call centers, Nah. The people who really need it, the people who are like interfacing with people on the phone all day for 12 hours a day, dealing with the problems of our society, they're not going to get it until it's the same price as a bulb. And at that point, it's going or to be Or until the benefits are so ridiculously obvious. So like a lot of people say humans never change. You always say, oh, people don't change. They stay the same. They stay the same. Actually, the opposite is true. If you give a human being... The if you make it completely obvious, humans will change super fast. Like they'll go yeah, to like, so they, putting all their information on a device and giving away all their privacy and all that for all the convenience they get. Humans will change yes. very quickly. I want to. And then I, you go back there. Go. You need to go ahead. Well, on, on that, and then I want to ask you. Jump in because I think like uh, the what is this the Harrison Act? I think that 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 ended uh, Class A drugs or Class One drugs. People when they found out that heroin and cocaine were in their everyday medicines and drinks. They stopped doing mm -hmm. it. Yes. So, and, and so 
similarly, people, when they find with a lot of times, they'll choose something of benefit. But at the same time, people continued smoking for decades, despite knowing that it was more beneficial. I only quit last year. Just saying, um, you know, and I like smoking. It felt great. Who's sure. kidding who? It's like, yeah. woohoo, I'm in heaven. Smokers um, like to smoke. <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a funny smokers thing. Smokers like to smoke. Um, <laughs> so, and you, you watch old television, like smoking in like hospitals. I mean, like people yeah, sure. in the room with someone on an oxygen machine, like, wow, that looks, he looks pretty sick. Yeah, <laughs> it's sure. crazy. But yeah, I, so some some benefits, as long as they don't take away pleasures or uh, yes. supposed value, or or uh, supplant the value that we've decided is valuable, sure. um, it's more difficult to impose. Or let me even, let me. Even I want to hit one more topic. I know it's eleven. Do you have time for one more? We're not I have out of time that. all day. I just uh, okay because we like to stop at around an hour, forty five sure. minutes to an hour. I like to kill it. So, but I want to ask you about UV disinfection. Okay. Oh, and I love this. Yeah, one. I want to. I, I see. I, I'm on your website. I'm taking it out. So when I'm looking down, oftentimes I'm looking at the guests' website or their social media or whatever. Yeah. Um. So first of all, when I look at it, I see the primary places in HVAC play. I see that this is something for the mechanical guys, uh-huh. right? Um, a lot of um, uh, HVA systems already have UV disinfection, which the light bulbs are burned out in. Um, and if you've seen any, like I'm in the waste business as well. If you've ever seen okay. a filter from a, and I've said this on the show before, so listeners don't get mad and throw something at the screen. But if you've ever seen a filter, like a batch of filters from an HVAC system in a commercial building, like a major commercial center, yeah. they are disgusting. They're gross. They're gross. It's disgusting. Yeah. Okay. So, but a lot of times, nasties. those companies have UVC disinfection in the units. It's just not the bulbs burned out. I'm telling yeah. you. I'm not kidding you. And people have it in oh, their no, homes I, as well. Oh, no. I know. I know. I'm, with, I'm in that space as well. So let's check that box. So HVAC should be done. HVAC is done. How can the lighting industry contribute to, in your mind, uh, like really, like we know, like a customer calls me, I, you did the retrofit, you didn't save energy. Uh, no, send me your hydro bills. Let's go. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Mm-hmm. I have no questions. Exactly. That, right? Um, do you feel like we're in a position now with the lighting industry, whether it's with uh, low pressure mercury or whether with LED, can we contribute to um, making the air cleaner. It's one of those things. Like people argue about climate change and this and that, and hysteria versus what. Everybody thinks that less pollution is better, right? You know, people argue about smoking whether, on that one. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, know, it's, it's like obvious, there's, yeah. there's places where you don't argue, right? Like clean water is good, right? So, so can we actually help people in these office buildings, in these commercial spaces, as the lighting industry? What do you think about that? It's um not an easy answer because uh, there's a couple of different products that you want as, as if you're thinking of, of it just as let's say an adjunct or an adder to lighting, right? Something that is part and parcel of your lighting system. Cause like, you know, there are companies that are creating UVA and UVB lights that have some pathogenic value in terms of pathogen reduction. Um, it's not going to be close to what UVC can do. But you can live under UVA and UVB in these small amounts. So that would be something that's integral to an existing light fixture. That's like GE and a lot of players are working on that particular product. And they're saying maybe we'll incorporate some UV near spectrum UV and or single band far spectrum UV as part of our standard light offering. You know, and every fixture will have some level of disinfectant to it. 
when you talk about assumptions and long-term impacts that are unknown, I think you're going to have a lot of pushback from the general public on that in general. We're putting on sunscreen and staying out of the sun so we don't get melanoma. Yeah, the, o the ozone layer is what blocks the UVC from coming exactly. from the sun. Right? Exactly. Like, we don't want to put UV, A, B, and C inside all of our spaces and have it be on us. Right. So that's so, the surface disinfection versus the air disinfection argument. And so then I, you have this tech. Then you have the technology. Let me think. What I let me sorry to interrupt, but yeah, this, this UVC upper air band, I think, is really where the value is. Um, and so properly installed with the right distances and the right irradiances levels, the right irradiance levels, you can destroy things from the upper air and you can and air does circulate from my mouth my hot air goes up and you have general convection currents you have supply and return air you even have fans on some of these uvc fixtures that are pulling air and making sure that it's circulating are you again perfect being the enemy of the good you're not going to get all the pathogens out in one minute you're not going to get them all out in two seconds you're still going to have cases of of allergy problems as well as flus seasonal things as well as the covid reality but i think indoor air quality um the one thing about covid and this pandemic response that i would love to see is that people say hey indoor air quality has been a major issue it's uh for for decades when as soon as we closed the buildings on these commercial facilities and made them into an air recirculating recirculating chamber we created uh illnesses that didn't exist you talk about the biofilm on the filters that's why you should have every cooling tower every air air handling unit should have uvc not only in the system but in the room itself that all the air that comes into the building should be pathogen removed i believe that a hundred percent and i'll give you a quick quick example that's My, what we do uh, with water removed. that's what we do with water exactly we, we we i have a we have a in our in our system here in 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 springfield missouri um we have great air you know, we moved from New York City, dirtiest air in the world. My son had had uh, a sinusitis for 11 months when he first moved here, and, and it was horrible. He was like, all the doctors wanted to take out adenoids, do all kinds of surgeries on him, and we. And then finally, a doctor said, "Have you looked at allergies and air quality in your house?" So we put in a 24 volt system on for air filtration. We put a UV light upon the return air. We put a UV light and a supply air, and we put whole house humidification. And we have not had an upper respiratory infection since. So the idea being that your body will heal itself if you have clean air to breathe. If you have clean water to drink, your body will generally heal itself. Um, that's why we're still alive and we're the dominant species on the planet because we do heal ourselves. You know, if we sure. didn't, we'd all just be dead on the side of the road. Sure. You know. The, um, so the but the, so when you're, so I'm when a you're, big fan of I'm a big fan of UV. UVC right. So, in, but you're talking you're talking active air and passive air disinfection are no brainers. Right. To me, I think it's a no brainer. Indoor right. air quality. Think about the amount of time that you would lose. You would save, you know, from like uh, uh, people being sick, people being out, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. people. But just, I, like, exactly. That's what I'm asking. How do you specifically make that business case to like the Macy's and the large? Like, how do you sit them down and say, look, so, here's what we're going to do. So this is, this is the weird. This is the weird thing is that on when it's an energy play. And you put it on the cool, you know you're going to get 25 to 35% energy savings by having clean coils and a better delta T from the HVAC side. We know that. So biofilm and destroying biofilm, that case is made, as you say, they're everywhere. They're, and if they're not everywhere, they should be everywhere. Mm -hmm. Part of indoor air quality. In the individual rooms where you have congregant spaces, cafeterias, um, large elevator lobbies, places where people are always 
you know, uh, in the bathrooms. People take their masks off and put their guard down in the bathrooms. Have UVC lighting there. And there's also poop in the air. Jeez. Yeah, sure. Let's get the poop out of the air. Um, so <laughs> deactivate, I, deactivate cases, that people, shit. <laughs> <laughs> literally. It's, it's killing me. And so what's funny is that the business case is hard to make. I'll be honest with you. I have a building. We have a series of banks. They know that they are deadheaded in Class A facilities. And one of the dirty little secrets about HVAC code is that if you have an under 5,000 square foot building, your front door and your back door and a third door in between is your filtration. You don't have filtration outside of that. You, that's your ventilation is the envelope of the building being leaky. You know, that's not three to four air changes an hour. That's like one chair change a day. Listen, listen, the so insulation boom, the insulation boom from the 1990s. Exactly. To, Building to envelopes. Yeah. Yeah. That actually caused a lot of air quality problems until they put in those, um, what are those things called? The, uh, where they take the air from the outside and they, and they warm yeah, it up it and mix it back in. Yep. Yeah. Like uh-huh. these houses were like, you're living in a garbage bag. You know what I yeah, mean? They wrap these houses much. from 1990 to 2010. It's like those houses need serious ventilation. They had mold problems and all kinds of things. Um, yeah. So you so want to be UVC careful over insulating. Yeah, it's crazy. So the UVC in the room is a really great idea. It's quiet. It doesn't mm-hmm. interfere with the operations. So like every, a lot of schools are putting in these, these EPA filters that are – they're super loud. And so they're going to be turned down on low and they're not going to be efficacious. So, But if you had UVC light in the ceiling – now the business case is difficult. We had a bank that knew that they had 60 deadheaded facilities where they had zero ventilation and massive COVID cases. Around the country, every diner, every deli, every location that doesn't have real air exchange is, is, a, is a pathogenic Petri dish. And so the, I think that leadership is difficult at this point. I'm, I've been sending out emails and I've been putting a little bit on the, the, the LinkedIn. But, you know, like this is a dirty little secret that our, our school systems, they have so little air, air exchange in the schools. It's a comedy. Like we have a, in our buildings in, in Springfield, we have a, a six, a, a four inch by 12 inch hole in the wall that is vented. That is our air exchange for an 800 square foot facility with one, uh, with one, you know, f- f- furnace and air conditioner running the entire system. No windows open. So, you know, and in, in this case, masks actually do work. Just to, to touch back on that one, we are masked and we are, our cases are very low. So you have to have multiple levels of defense in this particular one. But also, flus are down. We almost have zero flus. Our son didn't get ill last year at all. And he was in school seated the entire year. Let's not go so, down the COVID trail again because you and I are going to no, argue no, about that. But anyway. But yeah. air quality, but air quality as it air relates quality to this is super drama, as well, it relates to this drama, is a time to make the investment. You One know, more it, serious question. I agree reason. with you. I agree. One more serious yeah. question for you. Let's ride One that thing, pony. Yeah, I agree. But how <laughs> one of the things that I think we can do now, people, you know, there's there's fear mitigation. Okay, is a real thing. Yeah. Like whatever yeah. wherever you are on the COVID spectrum, there's a certain amount of decent people that are legitimately scared out of their minds of COVID nineteen. And people can argue, yes. they argue about whether they should be or should be. The fact is those people are real people and they're good people. Okay. Can we actually have died? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, so can we yeah. help them with hygiene theater? And what I mean by that is if we put these systems in, can we add an element to those systems that are telling them that this system cleans the air in here and kills a certain amount of the pathogens. I think the lighting industry could do that so well for everybody. 
and it's adding yeah, a green light yeah. that says cl actively cleaning the air or something like that exactly. as it comes on. Exactly. Like people yeah, laugh I mean, at me. They say, call really again. You, what are you no. talking about? I think it's important. No, I think, I think it's really important because people get on planes all the time, despite the fact that the TSA's answer has been to filter the, the people who are getting on the plane, when in fact it's the people who are working in the plane that have access to the plane. And they are less filtered than the people getting on the plane. So that theater of security is something that we have spent trillions of dollars and wasted billions of hours on, mm -hmm. you know, collectively as a community and agreed. You can touch my genitals every few months because I'm traveling, yeah, you know, sure. and, 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 and at the same time, a baggage handler can just walk on with a bag that they just brought from home. You know, yeah. and so in reality, the, the theater of, of security and the theater of cleanliness there has to be some truth to the theater of cleanliness. Yes, right? it has to be it efficacious. Be, it has to be efficacious. It can't yes. just be like a fan is in the ceiling and be like, we're fixing it for you because people still will get sick. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, and that's the case that I've been making to my clients is that you have these products that are for, let's say, um, under, let's say under two, three dollars a square foot in the room, efficacious with pathogen, not just COVID, but with mold, with bacteria, mm -hmm. with, pat with uh, allergens, deactivating the hell out of them. And we should be putting them in there. And it's, uh, you know, $3 a square foot. The, the, the catch-22 of the COVID reality is that our economy has been turned upside down. Our air quality has been mm -hmm. exposed. And then with our, it, only when our economy is right-sided up will we then have the money and the wherewithal to put these systems in, but the panic will have passed. And then we'll just wait for the next one. And then we'll have that same reaction. So I agree that there has to be something. I've been trying to sell it. I've been trying to give it away. People have been saying, yes, I love it. The studies that you show are wonderful. This UV thing is a great idea. I'm going to put it in my coils because it saves me 25%. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to put it in the room. I'm not going to uh, actually try to deactivate in the space because it's $3 a square foot. And I don't know when my clients are coming back. I don't know when my occupants are coming back. I don't know when my business is coming back. You know, maybe Amazon could put it in their, uh, their picking, their picking stations, <laughs> but they have really high ceilings and their kids are always running. So they, they're not going to be passing any pathogens. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's one of those catch 22s. A lot of the problems, it, it like I said earlier in the show. Yeah. A lot of the problems, like I said in the show is when people don't believe what they see right in front of their eyes. That's a huge but problem. Here's the interesting. Here's the interesting thing, and I and, and I guess we'll go back to regulation, which is a, you know obviously maybe not everyone's favorite word. But back when I was selling energy efficiency 25 years ago, people were saying, "I'm fine. I'm making enough money. I don't need energy efficiency." Then when there was a downturn, they were like, "Oh, we need to save money. Let's do energy efficiency." But we don't have money. Yeah. So that chasing the tail concept is what we're now going to experience with air quality. And I'm sure that there are people who have been in the air quality industry who have had this thing happen to them over and over again for decades who are making the same sounds that I'm making right now and saying, okay, the next pandemic maybe, you know, uh, how many, you know, maybe the fact that 28%, you know, but when are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? How many kids, we gotta how do many it. kids will have to die? We're going to do know? it. We're going to do it when it's easy. Ain't that right, Greg? When we keep it easy. When it's affordable. Right. When it's when affordable. We keep it easy. Yeah. Light made but it's a, it's Hang on, I'm ending, I'm ending the show yeah. here, Raymond. We can talk forever, oh, brother. Okay. We keep it easy. It's over an hour now. We keep it easy. Uh, when we get easy, you got to go to KeystoneTech.com, Greg Eric. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. What do you got, Greg? That's right. We talked about flexibility in the show. They give that with their LED floodlights, 3K, 4K, 5K, selectable built-in photo cell. 
the all the mounting kits you need, different lumen packages. I got everything with that floodlight. Yeah, go go to KeystoneTech.com. Light made easy, and we're very happy to, very uh, glad to have Raymond Crespo from Energy Conservation and Supply. Their website, energyenerconsupply.com, and then animated-insights.com or animated-insights.com. Raymond, thank you for being a Nailed member, man. We're so glad to have you in our association. Thank you. And have all your people in that, and it's great to have you, man. And and um, we look forward to having you on maybe on a – we're going to launch – I'm going to ask you right now on the show, so I'm putting pressure on you. We're going to oh, launch we go. a UVC committee, I think, in the uh, after oh, we change fantastic. out the board. Yeah, we're going to do a, a vendor committee, a distributor committee. I'd love it if you could be a part of that. It's only about two hours committee. I would love to be a part of that. As a, as a company, I want to give a shout-out to Arapy, A-E-R. APY. They are a locally made, manufactured in America, woman-owned business in the Midwest. They make an upper air quality product that we've installed in a number of places and do love. So yes, as far as like being we are no, vendor neutral, Arapy, A-E-R-A-P-Y. Yeah, we're going to um, send them the invoice after the we'll show. Set them up. <laughs> set them up. Yeah, set them up. We'll talk to uh, talk to Annette and Mike. But yeah, no, it's. A, I think it's a really good. That that final point we were making is good. I don't mean to be ne- negative or sure. doom and gloom, but I do think that um, there is an opportunity here. I mm-hmm. think that in energy efficiency, um, we saw leadership from the utility, from the government, from the mm-hmm. industry side, seeing the value, incentivizing it, and making it easy as you say. And so I think that they, maybe that's that combination as part of, as part of like a board, that's the kind of thing we have to do. Let's incentivize it a little bit, you know? And then at the end of the day, industry has less, uh, less, less absenteeism, less illness, less people getting sick, whether it be from the flu or whatever it might be, you get to have indoor air quality as a long-term value, which I really do believe in. So thank you for bringing that point up. I got a hundred more questions for Raymond. We're going to have to bring him back on again, folks. But if I know I speak on behalf Yep. Of Raymond, Greg Eric, everybody at Nailed and myself. We love you listeners. Thank you for listening. If you haven't joined Nailed, you can't join anymore. I'm not letting anybody else in. Just kidding. (laughs) NALD.org, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. (laughs)